not really sure I'm going to be able to top that, so <laughs> let's just close in prayer. <laughs> My name's Ian, and I've been asked to bring you the third instalment of the uh, Ideas for Sunday School Craft, and today we're going to look at David and Goliath. When I saw the list of topics for this series, I was pretty excited that I got David and Goliath because it was one that really had the best idea for craft, I thought. Um, the plan was we're all going to make slingshots <laughs> and I even made a prototype. And uh, so I've got a prototype here and then I thought 30 or 40 slingshots all aimed in this direction probably wasn't going to be the best thing for me. So as far as I know, there's only one slingshot in the building and it may or may not be used if I see anyone nod off in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> Of all the stories in the Bible, David and Goliath is considered the ultimate story, the underdog that comes out on top. And it's probably the one that's worked its way into our normal vernacular more so than anything else. Turn on a sports program and you're sure to hear this is going to be a David and Goliath battle where there's a weaker or inexperienced opponent or the, uh, and the exact opposite of what, what the opposition is. That's the go-to line to use. It's the same in other aspects of life. The little guy, the underdog, taking on the big guy or the establishment. There's been thousands and hundreds and thousands of movies made along, and books written along this sort of genre. So, And if I ask you to name them, you could probably rattle them off pretty quickly. So I'm going to narrow it down. Can anyone think of any Australian movies, poems or pieces of literature that comes out where the, where the little guy comes out on top? Castle. The castle, yes, classic. Tell him he's dreaming. <laughs> Any others? Man from Snowy River. Man from Snowy River. Thanks, Rod. Yeah. Ginger yeah. Meg. Ginger Megs? Yeah, okay, I'll pay that. I'll pay that. We better move on, I think. <laughs> we love underdog stories that give us hope. Who doesn't want to feel like they, want it, they can rise above the obstacles and problems and giants that stand before us and slay them with confidence? as we chase after our dreams. We love stories that tell us that you can do this. Stand up for yourself, or you've got this. Who doesn't want to feel like David? The Bible reading earlier, thank you, Clenis, that was a massive reading, so thank you very much. We heard the full story rather than the Sunday school version, and today we're going to go and dig a bit deeper into that full story. We're going to do more than just slay giants. We're also going to slay a few misconceptions about the Old Testament story. So keep your Bibles open uh, at the chapter because we're going to dive in and out and look at a few key verses. And as we work through the passage, try and create a 3D image in your mind of what's happening, what the people look like and how they're acting. But before we start, let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for your word. Father, settle our minds and our hearts to hear your word this morning. Father God, please help me to speak clearly and be true to your word. We pray that, you'll be, we, that we will renew our desire to love you, to serve you and to follow you. Amen. So we're going to start by looking at the four main players in the story. Saul, the Israelites, Goliath and David. But preceding them was Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges of Israel. The people of Israel were the ones that removed Samuel, Samuel from his role. They didn't want one of Samuel's sons taking over the job. They didn't want another judge. 
They demanded that Samuel allow them to appoint a king, a king like the other nations had. The Israelites had rejected the Lord even though he'd brought them out of Egypt. The Lord told Samuel, let the people have their way, but warn them about the king who's going to reign over them. God already knew who they were going to pick. And this highlights the tendency of people to remove God from their lives and place themselves as masters, not only the Israelites, but maybe us as well. So enter Saul, the leader of the Israelites, their king. Saul's physical appearance is highlighted when the people chose him to be their king, as someone who was above all the others. All Israel, all Israel valued is what they could see on the outside. Saul was the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. And reading from 1 Samuel, it says that he, Kish, had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now, to me, that's not a real flattering uh, description. Makes him sound like a bit of a giraffe. But, but maybe this is where the expression head and shoulders above the rest comes from. The key point here, though, is that he was chosen by the people because of his physical appearances and capabilities. They didn't care that, for the fact that maybe, possibly, on the inside, Saul was small and weak. The Israelites wanted a king to make them look like other nations. They wanted a king that would make them great and transform them into the nation they wanted to be. They valued power and wealth and size and strength like the other nations had. And so to the Israelites. In the passage today, we first hear of the Israelites as they arrive at the battlefield. In verse 1 from 17, it says... Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs, in, which belongs to Judah, and, and encamped between Soko and Azekar in Ephedemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in a line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines had gathered their armies for battle. The men of Israel had just gathered the Philistines were outspoiling for a fight. They were organised. They had a structure. They had a plan. They were forming armies and they were gathering for battle. The Israelites, not so much. They're described as, as a group of men just gathering. So already we're seeing that the Israelites' hearts probably really not in this. And then along comes Goliath. The description of Goliath is one of the longest and most detailed descriptions of any one person in the Old Testament. The writer of the story is really trying to put across how big and imposing this challenge was for Israel. This was the biggest challenge. In verse 4, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armour on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. Firstly, Goliath is described as a champion. The origins of the word champion means, that, means the man who is between. He's the man who stands between the battle lines. In ancient times, 
instead of everyone fighting and lots of soldiers dying, they decided to go about it in a much more economical way. Each side would select their champion, their man in between, and then those two would fight, out, fight with each other on behalf of their respective armies, and they'd decide the outcome of the fight, usually until death. Goliath was battle-hardened. He'd probably won some of these duels before. He certainly hadn't lost any. Goliath was a giant of a man, around three metres tall, or nine and a half feet tall for those of us who are over 60. To give you an idea, three metres is about the height of that wall there. His battle uniform consisted of a helmet of bronze. No weights given, but it wouldn't be light, maybe 10, 15 kilos. The chain mail he wore was 5,000 shekels. That's 60 kilos. He had a bronze armour on his legs. His javelin was also made of bronze. All that bronze is a lot of weight to carry. It'd have to be well over 100 kilos. We're told his spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, a weaver's beam was a strong, long, rounded pole used at the top of a weam, uh, 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 used at the top of a loom to hold the warp or the vertical threads. It's about seven centimetres in diameter. You'd need big hands to hold that, and on the end of that was 15 kilos worth of weight with the tip of the spear. He was big and well-equipped, all kitted out with what he needed for battle, including his sacrificial shield-bearer. This guy is big, and this is a big problem. Goliath represents the fact there are still giants in the land. This is all part of the mission that God started some time ago with his people. But on top of that, what's really at stake in this fight is slavery. In verse 8, he, Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servant and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath was pretty confident. He went all in. The outcome of this challenge didn't just affect the Israelite soldiers. It affected their families, their children and their future. What's on the table was life itself. And now we get to David. How does the Bible describe David? It says he's young. And he's ruddy and has beautiful eyes and was handsome. David's not battle-hardened. At this stage, he's still tending his father's sheep. He's never been to battle. He has no armour or no spear. But he believed in the Lord and had faith in the Lord's promises. From chapter 16, we do know that, do know that by this time, David had been anointed by God as the next king. That's pretty significant, but that's about it. So how does Israel face the problem of the Philistines? How do they face the giant? Well, they don't. Israel's terrified. Who wouldn't be standing in front of a three-metre monster? They're intimidated and they're afraid. Fears rendered them incapacitated as they look out to the giants of Gath and their hearts fail. But all of this is familiar. It's the same story on repeat. Israel, these soldiers and this army, are just doing the same thing as their forebears did when the spies came back from Canaan and said, there's giants there that stand before us. All the people crumbled then as well. 
Saul was the one chosen to be the Israelites' leader because of his stature and strength. When he was crowned king, the people saw his size and stature and said, yes, that's our king. If anyone's going to go and lead an army into physical battle, it should be Saul. But Saul was just, just as afraid as the people. Saul, the giant of Israel, the man who was head and shoulders above the rest, is also incapacitated by fear. He hides behind his army for 40 days, waiting for someone, anyone, to step up. By this time, though, Saul had fallen away from trusting God, and God wasn't with him. So now let's go to the main event. The bell rings. David's father sent him to take supplies to his brother on the front line. David hears Goliath taunting and mocking and showing his defiance. David saw and heard the same Goliath that everybody else saw, but his response was completely different. He isn't afraid, he's angry. He's angry with this bloke that defies and mocks the armies of the living God. In verse 26, David said to the men, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Finally, David's the one who sees this situation in the light of who God is. God had chosen Israel. God had put his name on them. God had sent them to the giants. God is the one who was with them. When David saw this situation in the light of God, it allowed him to see the real problem among the people of Israel. David's brought into Saul, and David says to the king, I'll go, and I will fight this Philistine. David will, David's going to be the man who is between. He, David's going to be the Israelites' champion. But then what happens? Saul tries to tempt him into playing the comparison game, the physical game, the material game. Saul says, you can't fight him, you're too young. He's been a warrior from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep, but now it's time to go to battle. That's an interesting phrase there that David used. He passed tense. I used to keep sheep. Didn't he just leave the sheep a day or two ago? Sounds like David's going all in as well. One way or another, he's not going back to the sheep. In that subtle line, David's saying he now sees this as his time to enter to what the Lord's called him to do. No one else is stepping up to face the giant. David rejects false security when Saul tries to give him his armour. This is nothing more than Saul trying to dress David in his values. David says, no, this isn't me. I'm after a different kind of power. He's acting in faith, and so he goes in faith. David's faith is believing God's promises and believing what God has promised to do in him and through him. In verse 37 we read, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David walks out into the valley of Elah in front of the Israelites, watching from the surrounding mountains. He stood before the giants. With what this battle represented, with everything that was on the line, what do you think was going through the mind of the Israelites as they watched little David walk out and face the giant? This is hopeless. It's all over now. What was Saul thinking? Where is Saul? Goliath gave David a piece of his mind. And David responds in verse 45. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into, your, into, you into our hand. Nothing like poking the bear, is there? Anyway, going forward, we know what happened next. David kills Goliath, first with a stone and then makes sure with a sword. The Philistines have watched this play out. They've had a sudden shift in their thinking. They're now terrified and they run. Usually that's where we stop the story. Look at David and be courageous like David. But there's a problem. Whenever you're told to be like David, you have to ask which version of David. Is it the one who killed Goliath or the one who killed his best friend so they could steal his wife? Even David had an enemy that he couldn't kill. There was a giant inside of David's heart that was too big even for him. So, spoiler, or a relief, you're not David in this story. And let's look at why. All that Israel could see was the three-metre problem standing in front of them. But Goliath wasn't the biggest problem. Israel and Saul completely misidentified the problem. Israel's real problem was in their own hearts. It was in their heart that they turned their gaze away from God and fixated it upon Goliath. The problem was in their hearts that they forgot God was way bigger than Goliath. It was the sin in their hearts that made them once again fail to recognise the problem before them according to the promises that God had given them. And since they misidentified the problem, they started playing the comparison game. They looked at Goliath's size compared to theirs. They looked at Goliath's advanced armour compared to theirs. They placed their security in all the wrong things. This whole situation is a window on the spiritual health of Israel and all that they valued. When they compared themselves to Goliath, they didn't match up. This led to the crushing weight of despair as Goliath taunts them for 40 days. They started to feel that he was unbeatable. The Israelites were looking for a champion. In the end, everything they'd based their hopes and dreams on wasn't enough to bear the weight of real life and its real problems. David identified the real problem and David had the solution. God's telling the whole story of the world through David and Goliath. And to be clear, this is not any form of parable. This is a true story. We've got place names, we've got geographical locations, we've got real people. We've a lot of detailed information. This is a real historical event. David points forward to the fulfilment of God's promise. A true and better David will defeat the last and final Goliath, who will rescue his people and transform their hearts. God sent Jesus to be our champion. Jesus is our man who is between. Jesus is David, the enemy is Satan and sin, and the giant is death. In this story, we're the Israelites. We're not strong enough to face our enemies by ourselves. We're not strong enough to face sin and Satan on our own. Jesus is the one who fulfills this passage, not us. He came in weakness and conquered the enemy. We can't do that. And David couldn't either. Jesus didn't come wrapped in armour. He came wrapped in flesh and blood as a baby. And when that baby grew up, we see these two foes, Jesus and Satan, 
meet and face meet and face each other. Firstly, in the wilderness, for forty days and forty nights, Satan tempted and taunted Jesus. And what was on the table? Again, a life of slavery. Jesus didn't give in. He saw this giant in the light of God. His trust in the Father made him untouchable. In Gethsemane, Peter draws his sword to fight off the soldiers. But Jesus says to him, Peter, put your sword away. Those things have no power against this enemy. At the crucifixion, Jesus stood there in silence and took all of it. He didn't fight back because they weren't his real enemy. He didn't come to crush them, he came to save them. Save them from the giants that enslaved their hearts. When Jesus died, he died so that our hearts might be filled with confidence and courage to face our problems. When Jesus died and rose again, he did so in his victory over death. We can't step out blindly, trust, trusting that we can do it alone. When you depend only on yourself, you're preparing yourself for defeat. God has promised to protect us and fight the battle with us. We know this from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The Israelites forgot this, but David didn't. We face all kinds of giants, emotional giants like worry, doubt, fear and anxiety. Mental giants like stress, insecurity, depression. Physical giants like illness, pain or disability. Personal giants like an addiction or financial giants that burden you. And the biggest of all giants is sin and death and we all face those two. What can we say or do when we face our giants? Four things to take away. One, never forget to whom you belong. You are God's special possession. He will make a way where there doesn't seem to be one. Two, believe and trust Jesus as your representative, your man in between. We conquer our enemies by faith in the gospel. We can learn how to face each situation. Three, always face the giants in the name of the Lord. Give our giants over to Jesus. Jesus, I can't do it. I'm too weak, too scared. I need you to step in and take over. Help me. Put it to the Lord in prayer. And finally, worship and give thanks. Trust him and his purposes. Let him use your gifts and use them to his glory. This true story of David and Goliath tells us it's not about power of the human spirit. It's not about self-empowerment. It's not about the underdog. This story is not about being like David. This story is meant to point us to a perfect representative who conquers our enemies on our behalf. That perfect representative is Jesus. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our man in between. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this story of David and Goliath. Forgive us when we misrepresent and misapply your scriptures. We try to read ourselves into the text rather than seeing Jesus being there to help us. Help us to read the Bible for ourselves with a gospel understanding and a gospel lens that we would leave your word comforted with the truth that Jesus is a friend for sinners and let that lift any, lift any weight that would burden us down. Thank you, thank you that you've set us free in the gospel. We pray this by your grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I've got a short period of reflection as the band gets ready to bring us our final song.